First, a Broadway show, Cheetah Rivera, who we just lost, and then Cheetah Rivera in the movie, and Leonard Bernstein uh, directed the score for, his bio is up there now, Cheetah Rivera, we remember, Jets versus Sharks, West Side Story, all about San Juan Hill, which was bulldozed, because the great builder, Robert Moses, said, Urban Renewal, and now we have Lincoln Center. And great cultural productions. But there was a history to that area. The difference is that these were Puerto Ricanos, Puerto Ricans by birth, whether born on the island, the Commonwealth, or here on the mainland. Let me tell you something. Here's <laughs> citizens. You could never, ever have a musical score like that today. But it certainly does apply. And let's talk about... The uh, migrants, the illegal aliens, especially those, the majority of whom at 40% of the Venezuelans, who came over from Maduro land, Venezuela, understood. He's a he's oppressive, totalitarian dictator. Uh, Catholic Charities, that's right, you're hearing it first at WABC. Could I have the breaking news sounder? Sources within Catholic Charities. Breaking news, WABC. Sources within Catholic Charities, which basically pays for many of the illegals to make their way on buses north of the border, especially when it was porous in Texas, but now increasingly, as Governor Abbott is sealing it up, uh, they're pouring through on the California border and the Arizona border. Uh, Catholic uh, Charities, which makes federal dollars uh, from us, the sucker taxpayers, they never use the money that's put in the wicker baskets and church services on Sunday to support the migrants' uh, migration north to New York or Chicago or Denver. Those are the main three cities or sanctuary cities or sanctuary states. And eight out of every ten want to come to New York City. Catholic Charities is now considering getting out of this business because they know that this new wave has been released by Maduro from the jails of Venezuela. Very similar to what Fidel Castro did back in 1980 to then Jimmy Carter, who was as naive as Joe Biden is and welcomed the Mariolito boat lift, 80,000, many of them criminals released by Fidel Castro out of the bowels of his gulags, who then came into the United States and conducted an unprecedented crime wave. They went all the way to Little Rock, Arkansas, where the governor at the time was Bill Clinton. He actually lost his reelection bid based on the fact that he was housing them at Fort Chaffee, a federal facility, uh, a request from Jimmy Carter. He wanted to please, obviously, the leader of the Democratic Party, the president of the United States. He was climbing the ranks. He did that. And the illegal aliens, the Mariolitos from Cuba, burnt down Fort Chaffee and escaped into the Ozark Mountains. And it was a two-year election cycle. And Bill Clinton did not get reelected. After that, he became a more moderate, centrist Democrat, law and order, and he got reelected. You know the rest of that history. So we've gone around this before. This has happened in 1980. And now it's happening all over again as an invasion has taken place. And they're not invading on their own. They're being welcomed. We remember. 
Now President Joe Biden, candidate Joe Biden on the stage with Donald Trump in one of the debates saying, how be your Papa Chulo? Who's your daddy? I get elected, you're going to be able to cross the border. And has used no executive orders to stop it at any point, which he can and could. And now he's hinting that he might in his State of the Union address. I don't know how he gets to a State of the Union address. He can barely speak for five minutes, but we'll see. Things are that dire. In the polls throughout the United States, the number one issue that is his lowest rating point at 18%, 18% is this migrant situation, and it's only going to get worse. Here in New York City, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, mayor of the illegal aliens, it's incredible. He's down at 28%. That's lower than Joe Biden's national figures and Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb, the governor of New York. And it's only going to get lower. He welcomed the illegal aliens. He was there in the receiving line, if you remember, initially in August of 2022, maligning Governor Abbott, who had no choice uh, because Texas was overrun. And he called him a racist. And then months later, he said he was a madman. So Governor Abbott said, "Okay, I'm a racist. I'm a madman. I'll double, triple the number of migrants who are coming across the border claiming to be asylum seekers. You're an asylum seeking uh, sanctuary. I'm going to send them to you because in Texas we are not fair. And now, boy, the problems uh, that Eric Adams has brought upon ourselves, because we're the ones, we're the suckers who have to fund all of this in New York City. So yesterday... He tried to take a victory lap after zeroing out by raising the roof and basically saying, well, look, I'm not going to have to make draconian cuts in the budget. What I originally thought, canceling five recruit classes at the NYPD, cutting the fifth man on many of the fire engine response firehouse teams. I'm not going to have to do that because uh, I see the taxes are good. And I'm going to take it out on the migrants. I'm going to be cutting their budget in terms of what they're allotted per diem to survive each and every day in Gotham City. And he says the figure is $13. Each uh, migrant uh, will get about $13 a day. So it's not automatically uh, $1,000 as it has been um, reported. And he says the $13 will cover not only food and nourishment, but also baby supplies. Now. As you know, I'm no friend of the migrants being here. But there's no way you're going to get baby supplies other than if you go into a Dwayne Reed, CVS, and Walgreens and shoplift them because the baby supplies alone are going to cost you more than $13. Eric Adams has his son, Jordan. But Jordan is like in his 30s. So I don't think Eric Adams has any recall like I do with three sons. So 10 years ago, we're at that stage where they needed baby supplies. So many of you listening out there, or even if you're taking care of your grandchildren, that makes no sense. But then I remember a while back when he was uh, playing chef because, you know, he likes to be a celebrity chef. He really, his passion is culinary delights. He wants people to eat healthy He's a holistic homeopathic practitioner. We thought he was a vegan uh, initially, but then uh, some people saw that he was having fish with his salad. So he's a vegetarian, but he does live that life. And it has saved his life. As he reported when he was Brooklyn Borough president, he not only was overweight, he was losing his eyesight because of his severe case of diabetes. And he decided he had to alter his entire lifestyle through diet. And he wrote a book about him. And I credit credit him for that because it it has probably saved lives, especially in what they call the black and brown community, where these problems are even more severe than they are in the white and Asian community. So I give him props. But now all of a sudden, as Chef Eric Adams, he does a much better job being a chef than mayor. He wants to instruct all of you and me, and it should apply to the migrants, how they could live off of $10 a day on a bag of beans. And he's serious. He's serious about this. In a few weeks, uh, I'm going to have Rachel put through a program where I'm going to live off of $10 a day by eating a healthy plant-based diet. A healthy plant-based diet. Now, uh, you go into Whole Foods, you go into these um, 
stores that sell, you know, vegetables and other products that are not mass produced, uh, do not have chemicals attached to a chemical free. It's expensive. Uh, if you are eating chicken, uh, range free chicken, it's much more expensive than the empire, uh, kosher chicken that you might got or the Purdue chicken. All right. So it's expensive. I, I, Eric, how, how do you do that? How are you going to set an example? There's a myth out there that states eating healthy is too expensive. Uh, you can take a bag of lentils, which costs around about $2.80. You can make lentil stew, lentil burger. Uh, you can make lent- lentil uh, pasta. And in fact, if uh, you've ever been in any of these migrant shelters, I've been in a few. Uh, helped close a few down. They were in brick-and-mortar facilities in which uh, there was fire hazards, unsafe for the occupants. They weren't made to be lived in overnight. Uh, the migrants uh, were bringing in hot plates, which made it even more dangerous, or asbestos abatement wasn't done. About eight of them that I've helped the rebels around the city close, and rightfully so, for the health of the migrants also and the people who were working in there. But I don't know. I think we're going to need uh, Noam Layden, who's going to be joining me up next, to reach out to City Hall and find out how a family of four, as the mayor said, could survive on a bag of lentils. Can I hear that one more time? Wrong way, Lou Rufino, please. There's a myth out there that states eating healthy is too expensive. Uh, you can take a bag of lentils, which costs around about $2.80. You can make lentil stew, lentil burger. Uh, you can make lent- lentil uh, pasta. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, do as I say, do as I do. I'd love to be able to see the mayor live off of $10 a day, just that night alone. Well, wait, he doesn't pay for any of his meals at La Osteria, owned by the Petrosian brothers, felons. Uh, everything's on the cuff. Every restaurant he goes is on the cuff. So maybe he can't. But then there's the other suggestion he gave a group of his cronies who already have contracts in, with the city. He told, taught them how they could put their beak in the trough to basically make windfall profits from just cleaning migrant centers, migrant uh, tents, and migrant rooms and make incredible amounts of money. And so you may be a, a CPA right now. This may be a moment to say, let me put that CPA on the, on the back burner right now and get some of these cleaning contracts. We have to clean sheets, towels, rooms. We have to sell Clorox to clean the floors. We have to make sure that people are getting the educational opportunities. There are billions of dollars that we have to spend on a migrant asylum seeker crisis that was dropped in our lap. Now, what about sweat equity? Justin Alec, you ever hear the term sweat equity? We will provide you a roof over your head. We will give you, the Venezuelans and the other migrants, the tools to clean up your own room. Do your own laundry. Go out into the streets, in and around your facilities. Put on the the jackets, the fluorescent jackets. People can see you're actually trying to earn your keep. And nowhere offsets. The massive amount of money that we, the city taxpayers, pay. But it might be a nice gesture. Instead, you go by Floyd Bennett Field. They discard clothes in a federal park. They just keep them. They dumped, dump them right off before you walk through the gate. It separates the three big tents from the rest of this gorgeous park, part of the National Gateway System that never before has housed people. Have them clean that up. Now we've taught them to be Americanized, lazy, like a lot of our kids and grandchildren are used to mom and dad or granddad or grandma picking up after them. We have spoiled them. We're giving them welfare, free everything. How the hell are we going to get them to scrape the barnacles off their backside, get their rear and gear and work in America if you already introduced to them the American way Everything can be for free. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, 
TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. To the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. Curtis doesn't know about you, but he rips and reads. This is the Rip and Read. sang a Coney Island song of late. Who's that? Taylor Swift. Really? Yeah. This is my favorite, The Excellence. Do Wop Acapella. My age. My age range. You may have remembered uh, Noam Layden uh, in the lockdown and pandemic when uh, Ilda Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, closed all the beaches. I defied him and went swimming. Remember right. Coney Island? I remember that, yeah. <laughs> and all the parks department uh, police were out there. <laughs> See you. And the right. cop said, that's what Curtis wants. <laughs> and remember, I was doing backflips do. and uh, the Australian crawl. And people were from the pier there. <laughs> the Boricuas were cheering me on. I was the only one. And you came out with a wet mask on. I remember you wore the mask because that was part of the deal. You had to wear a mask. No, not a mask. It was the skin, the suit. Oh, because it was? was freezing weather. <laughs> and I was in there a long time. Right. And remember, I had a picture of Bill de Blasio buried in the sand that I was kicking sand against. <laughs> I was trying to urge everybody to follow me, but nobody did. And the reason that they were going to arrest me is there are no lifeguards. Because obviously they were banned. They had the red flags, no swimming. That's what it means. You cannot swim. Could be undertow, uh, could be uh, current issues, whatever, jellyfish. You yeah. know, there's always different reasons. But there were no lifeguards. So technically they were correct, but you know me, I'm a rebel. Yeah. I was making a point. But I heard you, uh, in the five o'clock hour, which I, I might, I might direct people to, Nomaladen uh, has some dry sarcasm when he does these stories. <laughs> they are so good. Throughout the tri-state area, you don't just do New York City stories, no. New Jersey, Eastern Pennsylvania, Connecticut, people driving into work. It is a, an amazing hour. But I heard you uh, talk about the mayor who loves toys. You know, Robbie Robot has been put on the shelf. That was going to replace transit cars. That was, yeah. And drones, which so far have been used every time I have a rally against a migrant center, the drone is right over my head, which you've seen, right? So, Well, it's, they're putting it to good use, apparently. Yeah, well, they're testing it on me. Because yeah. I'm loud enough, the drone could probably pick up my voice from 10,000 feet uh, above. But he's got a new plan, a new idea for drones, and I listen to it, and I want to hear it from you because you broke the story here at WABC. I did. Well, this is... A brilliant plan on the part of City Hall and the mayor's office. You know, every year, unfortunately, we have drownings at city beaches, right? It happens every year. And so now imagine if somebody got caught in the surf and they're, you know, unable to get out and a drone came over and dropped a life raft down below to them and they got on the life raft, everything would be okay. Doesn't that sound just seems like a brilliant idea on the part of City Hall and they're going to try this out. At Coney Island this summer, first place. Hmm. Can I hear what the mayor was saying about that yesterday? Because he was crowing. Uh, I mean, he was busting his buttons and bridges with pride. Now you have eyes in the sky telling you the person is straight ahead. The person is off to your right. The person went under in front of you. The police department is going to do a full presentation. You know, they're going to show you how it works. It's going to be deployed from locales in the beach areas. I think they're going to start out with Coney Island, and they're going to grow from there. On the drone, there is a loudspeaker that communicates with the person who may be in trouble and also communicate to the lifeguard. The person went under right there. You're three feet away. Go to the right. Go to the left. Now, mm-hmm. if you had lifeguards which he doesn't have enough. No. 
that might work, okay? It's worth a try. But don't you think he should try try to hire the appropriate number of lifeguards first? Because imagine, and I've been stuck in this situation. Thank God my father taught me merchant seamen of 46 years, uh, 54 years, Chester. Don't fight the undercurrent. Don't fight the current uh, riptide. Just float on your back. It may You may go a half mile down. You may go so far out. But you're never going to be able to swim through that. And he used to swim, uh, swim uh, Lake Michigan. He grew up in Chicago. Hmm. When they prepared him for World War II for the Merchant Mariners, the training site was in Sheepshead Bay, uh, Kingsborough Community College, where uh, Sid is a proud graduate from. They used to row you out in a boat in Jamaica Bay in the winter. Come on. Throw you in because of hypothermia. Because right. remember, all the merchant ships were being knocked out by yeah. Nazi subs when they were passing Coney Island. They were out there. They were just waiting. They knew that these ships had to go through, and they were knocking out. So you'd be out in the North Atlantic where it's like 60 degrees below zero. How long do you think you could survive? Not very long. But you had to at least be able to swim. Now, my daddy was like a fish in water. He swam right to the shore, Plum Beach, which is right there along the Bell Park. He said other guys were struggling, and they said, you're not really fit for the Merchant Mariners. You ought to try the U.S. Army. I'll give you a gun and a foxhole, but... (laughs) You ain't, you ain't going to be able to survive out there because they're knocking out merchant ships left and right. And you couldn't stop to pick up your fellow merchant mariners. Many of them died as a memorial. Shamefully, it's put out right near the Battery Park. It's in the water. Nobody even knows it's there. I only know it's there because my dad would take me there and honor his fallen comrades. But let me tell you something. They don't have enough lifeguards. There aren't enough of us in New York City who would train. There used to be a lot of pools in the public and Catholic high schools, uh, swim team. You'd be swim team, and then you'd get a job as a lifeguard. They don't have that anymore. So I have an answer. What is that? Well, I have been accused of being anti-migrant, right? A few times, yeah. Especially against the Venezuelans, who are 40% of the total and who have organized gangs here. We recognize that. Yeah. Beating up cops in Times Square, beating them up in the uh, in the tents on Randall's Island. People don't realize that when I was in Havana, Cuba, and the Venezuelans were visiting the Cubans because they were in solidarity, Fidel Castro and Hugo Chavez, they not only are great baseball players, which they are, they're great swimmers. Really? They had Olympic swim teams. They won medals. You go to Venezuela, whether it's Hugo Chavez or Maduro now or before that when they were the number one capitalist country in all of South America – Amazing beaches, the best Caribbean beaches, people tell you. Playa El Agua, Playa Medina, Los Caracas, which is uh, uh, an hour away from Caracas, which is like the Jones Beach. And then they have Angel Falls. A lot of people don't know this. You know, we see the falls in Patterson, New Jersey. Right. It's a little Pisha Falls. Angel Falls has the, is the highest waterfall in the world. Some of these Venezuelans will be jumping off wow. and then swimming. Now, not many of them survived, but that was the ultimate macho test because, you know, amongst Venezuelans, everything is machismo. You go Chavez. And these guys and gals can swim. So I would say mm-hmm. let's take them to our municipal pools first. Some of them that are operational, run by the Parks Department. Let's test out their ability to swim. Let's acculturate them, assimilate them. As long as they agree to be lifeguards from the beginning, Memorial Day weekend to Labor Day weekend. We desperately need the lifeguards. And in all the city pools, too, that don't have enough lifeguards. You see how I've answered the problem. You have, and you have, and they have three months to train, right? I mean, the season's still pretty far away. A lot of them, they like fish. All you got to do is say, hey, this is how you earn your keep. Now, the other thing. Right. Because they're at Randall's Island. It's 3,000, mostly Venezuelans. Let's face it, Steve Cohen last year was, uh, what, of the Mets? What can we call him, the owner-operator? Uh, well, we thought he was the Mashiach. We the thought Mashiach. he was the next Schneerson of the Mets. Right, the uh, endless amounts of money. This year, he's throwing nickels around like manhole covers. He's like the Will Ponzi's. <laughs> and I heard you guys, because I listen to every moment of Sid Rosenberg in the morning with all of his friends, right. and I'm his fiend at right. 7.05, Monday through Friday. Right. And you really did have an excellent conversation of how the Mets this year have no real starting pitching. No. Let me take you back as Mets fans. You may have remembered it was 2012. 
Johan Santana had come over from the Minnesota Twins. He was the best pitcher in uh, all of baseball from Venezuela. He was the four-time All-Star, two-time Cy Young Award winner. And he pitched the first no-hitter, the first no-hitter in Met history. Buck Showalter said, I left him in too long, left him in too long. He, he popped out his shoulder. He was never the same. He had a change-up that nobody could hit. Yeah, yeah. Fastball, curveball, he had it all. Where was he from? Venezuela. That's right. Where was Andres Galara from, the big cat? I'm guessing Venezuela. That's right. Where was Miguel Cabrera, one of the greatest hitters of all time? Venezuela. Where was Luis Aparicio of the Chicago White Sox in the 60s? Venezuela. And where was Ozzie Guillen, the manager of the World Series champion, Chicago White Sox, 2003-2005? Where was he from? I'm going to guess. Venezuela. And when he accepted the World Series trophy for supremacy in Major League Baseball, he dedicated it to who? Venezuela. Hugo Chavez. <laughs> That's what caused the controversy. I will forgive and forget. If the Mets can get a few top-rate, number one, uh, ranked pitchers so, and whole players. Do you think they're among the migrants? We could get some of those pitchers in Damn right. They're young, single, oh, really? able-bodied men of military age who probably grew up playing baseball. I guarantee you. So when the Uber Eats guy shows up here, I should hand him a baseball and see if he can throw it? No, not him. Oh. But I want you to do me a favor tomorrow. As you know, this is a competition between me and Sid Rosenberg. Normally when Brian killed me and it's been away, I would do his two hours. For some strange reason this week, uh, the guy upstairs, Casimatidis, decided to be King Solomon and cut the hour in two, give Sid one, me the other. You've listened to all of our shows, the extra I, I edition. I have, yeah. I've been listening very closely. Tomorrow at 7.05, can you weigh in on judgment? Sure. You want me to pick, if it were to happen, that Brian Kilmeade were to go away for some reason right. and somebody was awarded those two hours, I should decide who gets those two hours. Exactly. You, Curtis Lewa, or Sid Rosenberg? Uh, it can't be one and one. It's, it's, I, I'm better than Sid. There's no doubt about it. So you want the two solid hours? Yeah, because he runs out of gas in that last hour. He's a thoroughbred. He's like Seabiscuit. Who's the right. Clydesdale at WABC? You don't think he's been able to do that 10 to 11? It's good. But it's just okay. But he can't touch this stuff. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. To the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. Curtis doesn't know about you, but he rips and reads. This is the Rip and Read. Vision, dreams of passion. And all the while I think of you. A very strange reaction. The more I see, the more I do. Oh, classic, classic. Yeah, white lines. Boy, it took out Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, Melly Mel. It was a horror, a real horror. Back then in the age of rap coming out of the Bronx, very same time that it started the Guardian Angels. These great performers all ended up putting their nose in the nose candy cocaine. And the reason that I play this is because one of the headlines was that Hunter Biden and his attorney was squealing that the special counsel appointed to investigate him on so many matters, guns and drugs, uh, going the whole nine lights finally. They said that David Weiss thought that, get this, wrong way, Lou Rufino, that sawdust was cocaine. I don't know of anybody who would think that sawdust is cocaine. But this is another spin by the spoiled hunter Biden, who has taken full advantage of the fact that he was born on third base, and he's been trying to slide home ever since and break every rule in the book, especially when it comes 
to using cocaine. And, I mean, that should have made people belly laugh. I remember one of my jobs at the butcher store of my uncle, Jimmy Scabone, who owned both the grocery store and butcher store on the corner of Avenue K, Rockaway Parkway, Canarsie, across from Canarsie High School was, I had to put down fresh sawdust at the end of the day to prepare for the butcher shops opening the next day. And before that, I had to sweep up all the old sawdust that would almost like um, collect, almost like uh, enzymes, would collect particulae so that you could have a clean floor for the next day. Nobody would ever mistake sawdust for cocaine. But that is one of the papers filed by Hunter Biden's high-priced attorneys who's paying for them, I have no idea, friends of Joe Biden. But the reason I bring all of this up is the other day I saw in the studios of WABC the president of the DEA. And I know that would have sent a shiver down the spine of our own Sid Rosenberg if it were years ago, the Drug Enforcement Agency, because he has uh, admitted he was a... I mean, he, he had his nose in the blow like a lot of people. I've used a lot of drugs when I was growing up, but never cocaine. Man, I have too much energy to begin with. Uh, my heart would have exploded through my frame. But I'm f- certainly familiar with the effect that it had during the disco years. And Sid, to his credit, has been able to explain to people how he was grabbed by the demons Basically pulled him into the belly of the beast, almost destroyed his life, his family's life, his mother and father's life, his wife, Danielle, who stood with him through thick and thin. And I remember there was a time, wrong way, Lou Rafino. I was doing mornings at WABC with Kubi, and uh, Sid was uh, with you guys on Imus, and we had been asked to come down to St. Petersburg, where the Daily News, when it was uh, in its prime, was having its... uh, uh, convention for the year, and I knew everybody there from uh, the um, publisher, Zuckerman, uh, to, uh, oh, man, so many guys that knew me. And they knew Sid. They brought us both down to talk. I don't think Sid ever made it. He, 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 he got in the limo with me after we arrived at the airport. It's a long ride across the tarmac. Uh, and uh, then he disappeared. He was, he was in the depths of that cocaine hell. So I saw that the president of the DEA, which is actually the Detectives Endowment Association, Paul DiGiacomo, who recently awarded Sid the law enforcement award at their annual gathering, was there with uh, Captain Ed Mamet and Kevin Schroeder for their cop talk. And it sort of reminded me of how many men and how many women had dedicated their lives to pursue at that time, especially in the 80s, at the time of crack cocaine, and powder cocaine, so many folks, so many folks who had gone astray. Remember, that was the Biden years, right? Remember, he wanted the perpetual life without parole. You know, he was tough on drugs. And then all of a sudden, uh, later on, he said, nah, nah, that was the wrong thing to do. Well, you know that story. But the reason that I, I wanted to talk about that, it reminded me that Hunter Biden was really, in some ways, when you follow... His own laptop, recovered by Rudy Giuliani and Bernard Carrot, to their credit, his own laptop that he left behind, two laptops to that guy who couldn't even see outside of Wilmington, Delaware. Thank God he turned them over to Rudy and to Bernard Carrot. That it sort of reminded me to a degree uh, like the scenes out of Goodfellow. Remember when Karen, Lorraine Bracco, is flushing the coke of Henry Hill, played by Ray Liotta. What was I supposed to do? They were all over the house. Karen, that was worth $60,000. I need that money. That's all we got. What was I supposed to do? They Karen! Weren't, they were in everything. That's all the money that we had, Karen. I was dependent on that. Why did you do that? I had to Karen, they, were... they were going to find oh. it. Karen, they would have never they found it. it. I swear to you, Henry. I swear to Henry, they would have found it. Why did you do that, Karen? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That wasn't sawdust. And then remember when Ray Liotta playing Henry Hill 
is talking to the young lady who helped him package everything. But before they do a visit, she wanted her hat. Lois, do you understand what we're involved in here? I don't care. I need my hat. I won't fly without it. What could I do if she insisted I had to drive her home for her damn hat? Threw the package in the kitchen, and I went to take her home. Oh, and then finally, when the helicopter is hovering over Ray Liotta playing Henry Hill on his busy day as he's trying to drive away. I was going to be busy all day. I had to drop off some guns at Jimmy's to match some silencers he had gotten. I had to pick up my brother at the hospital and drive him back to the house for dinner that night. And then I had to pick up some new Pittsburgh stuff for Lois to fly down to some customers I had near Atlanta. You know how many Loises Hunter Biden had? How many guns he had? He could. It could well have been good fellas, except at a different level. But because he was the son of Joe Biden, he skated on everything. That's right. I highly recommend you go to WABCRadio.com. You check out the Comp Talk podcast. Man, these are two guys who lived through the cocaine monster wars and the crack wars, Captain Ed Mamet and Kevin Schroeder, and listen to their very special interview with the president. No, not Sid of the Drug Enforcement Agency that would have sent a shiver up his spine. But Paul DiGiacomo of the Detectives Endowment Association. Imagine he's gone full circle, Sid to receive the law enforcement award at their previous dinner. Vision, dreams of passion. And all the while I think of you. A very strange reaction. The more I see, the more I do. Baby. Tell all your friends they can go my way, pay your toll, sell your soul, pound for pound, cost more than gold. The longer you stay, the more you pay. My white line go a long way, either up your nose or through your vein. With nothing to gain except killing your brain. It's a sound uh, that I never experienced, uh, Wrong Way Lou Rufino and Justin Ellie. With my wife Nancy, who is here for the Rip and Read every Tuesday and Thursday to do a deep dive, which he will in the next segment, with uh, Eric's, Eric Adams in a stealth-like way, once again spending our money and not giving us any answers, but more and more riddles. But first, to pomp and circumstance, I never had this in elementary school. There was no such thing as a moving up ceremony or junior high school, PS 114, Bill to see junior high school. And as everybody knows, the Jesuits shine their boots on my backside, as Peter King always likes to say, from the high school he graduated, Brooklyn Prep, to the one that they kicked me out to the curb and I never looked back. But now I see headline after headline. He might as well have on his uh, his uh, robes, graduation robes. Maybe he is the valedictorian, not Joe Biden. He has decided to forgive more student loans, even though I thought he can't do it. 
he, I guess he figures the pathway to uh, re-election, if he is the candidate standing uh, after the Democratic nomination uh, process, is to forgive student loans. Now, Nancy, my wife, graduate uh, of uh, SUNY College. Where was that, Nancy? Again? Uh, Stony Brook. Stony Brook. And then, of course, Brooklyn Law, saddled with student debt. Saddled. Well, uh, I wish I could help, but uh, I have other responsibilities. <laughs> but can you explain what the President of the United States has decided to do that has enraged most of our WABC audience? Yeah, so when he initially came into office, he had these promises of student loan um, debt reduction and canceling student loan debt. So, you know, he kind of rode to some level of popularity with younger people who have student loan debt. So he tried to push forward a $400 billion package that would assist 43 million people. Now, to date, he's only been able to assist uh, 3.9 million, so less than 10% of what he set out to uh, people he set out to assist. And at 138 billion now, not all of this has gone into effect, but as of yesterday, you know, he's on the campaign trail again. He's at a fundraising event. He announces another wave, uh, 1.2 billion in student loan debt will be, um, relinquished, uh, alleviated rather for 150,000 borrowers who are part of this like income driven repayment plan where over the life of their loan, they had only borrowed up to like $10,000 and they've been paying for over 10 years. So those people are eligible, according to this plan, to have that debt extinguished. So they had borrowed just ten thousand, <laughs> just ten thousand dollars. And so, what were they just paying the interest on well, that loan? I mean, that's that's how these loans are structured. That's really the problem. Once you start getting the higher balances, it's all um, income heavy at the front end. So you'll be paying for several years, where maybe you know you'll start to tap into like five, ten dollars a payment before you start hitting like you know fifty, fifty a payment. So. I mean, if you're paying for five, ten years, you might actually not be taking anything off the balance. Your balance might increase because of the interest rate on it. All right. So uh, there's been about, what, $160 billion worth of forgiveness today by Joe Biden? Well, yeah. So this brings it up to 138. And, you know, w- what he did, interestingly, was like these couple categories that have been carved out so far, I would say are like the lowest hanging fruit of student loan reduction you could, you know, imagine. So, for instance... It's more or less closing up paperwork because this is what it is. The, the, you know, the government hires these servicers to manage this mess of debt. And unfortunately, like, you know, most of these servicer organizations, they're not inclined to tell you when you've hit a parameter of your payback where you don't owe anymore. So part of a big chunk of these people who've gotten relief, it's just technical paperwork glitches where the company never told them, oh, by the way, you don't owe us anymore. So that, I mean, to me, that's not even helping people. That's rectifying a paperwork error. All right. So are we talking Fannie Mae, Sally Mae, or Big Mac Daddy loans? Well, all the uh, federal subsidized loans, which is the majority, the majority of the loans. So that's a private loans. Not, just a- no, just, fe- yeah, just federal subsidized. All right. So our audience, when we've done this question time and time again, I'd say about by a eight to two margin, want everybody to pay back their loans. But you have made a compelling argument to me what this does as an impediment to people of your age. I still don't know exactly how old you are, but you're like a hipster millennial. We're a generation apart. I am a baby boomer. I, again, don't know about student loans. I never had to pay a student loan because technically I'm a high school dropout. No GED, never look back. So how does this become an impediment to just moving on with your life once you've left, in your case, uh, school, very good school, a SUNY school, Stony Brook, and a very good law school, Brooklyn Law School. You do great. Uh, uh, you, you, you honor so many things as an e-attorney for us here that you share with our WABC audience that has actually made news almost like a week ahead of time before it hits the mainstream news. Explain to us what are the burdens that – the things you can't do as a result of these loans. Well, I mean, mo- most of the uh, you know big implications happen if you stop paying on the loans, like if you're in any form of a default. But, I mean, the first thing that I noticed was, you know, when you graduate school, they give you about a six-month grace period, they call it, before the loans start kicking in. But depending upon what you make, again, it could just be income-sensitive. A lot of these loans are structured like that. 
But right away, a huge chunk of the money that you're taking in is going to be going to just paying back the student loans. And the practical problem of that is, you know, when you go to rent an apartment or like, you know, they're looking at your credit report, you have like an outstanding payment. So the fact that you're current on it is great, but it's this lingering overhead obligation that will prevent you from being able to do certain things like, for instance, rent an apartment because, you know, a, a fraction of your um, income is already accounted for. So, again, there's that practical implication if you don't keep your um, student loans current, if for some reason you have financial issues and you fall in default. So, for instance, my law license, if I had an issue with default on a loan, they wouldn't renew your law license. They would cancel your law license. So if you are a professional, that's extremely important. They can, um, you know, basically just take you out of being able to practice your profession. So that would be for doctors, lawyers. Uh, these are people who have dedicated many years uh, well after graduate school in order to be able to uh, qualify to practice law and qualify to perform medicine. What, yeah, when you're renewing your your law license, they ask you more or less two financial questions. One is, are you in default on child support? And the other one, is you in default in student loans? That's it. So now, what about buying a house? The American dream. There are many baby boomer millennial couples. They've gotten together. They're usually college graduates themselves. Many of them have student debt, student loan debt how difficult it is for them because one of the aspects of the economy that shows growth in economy is uh, conversion of uh, sales of homes from one family to another family and the demand to build new homes, which really, I mean, it fires up the economy. Well, I mean, again, it's the the amount that it costs on uh, basic down payments for anything I could even think of in the five boroughs. I mean, it's just so out of reach of anyone who's graduated from school when they are paying back the loans right away. I mean, I again, I, I don't know many people who are in that financial position where it's something they can do, which is why a lot of people do rent, which is where it becomes so important to have rentals that people can afford. I mean, these high-end luxury rentals aren't for everyone because you, know, you don't have enough income. So there is a real need for that. Well, it used to be in my age range, the baby boomer age range, you'd grow up in the city. And you move to the suburbs to get an affordable home. Let's say you got married, you wanted to have a family. Other than if you uh, took over the house of your mother or father, grandfather or grandmother, generally people would move. That's how there was this movement out to Nassau, Suffolk County, up into Westchester, across uh, the uh, Throgs Neck Bridge, uh, the Whitestone Bridge, you know, uh, and then further out into Long Island, of course, uh, the uh, Tappan Sea Bridge, not the Mario Facha Bruta Como Bridge, into Rockland, Mid-Hudson Valley, northern New Jersey. Uh, I mean, there's so many people who were able to get a house, not in the city, but were able to get it in the growing suburbs. Yeah, but, I, I notice that's no longer the case. Yeah, I mean, because when you look at the value of the dollar today versus even 15, 20 years ago, you can see where purchasing power is so much less. It was a feasible goal I think, you know, 15, 20 years ago to think that you could, you know, save up in the first couple of years out of school and, you know, possibly purchase something. It's very far out of reach now. It's extremely far out of reach. Well, number one, the United States Supreme Court has told the president he cannot do this. This you cannot do with an executive order, executive powers. Nancy Pelosi, who was his ally in many battles against the Republicans, the outgoing Speaker of the House, told him you cannot do that without the legislative approval, and yet he forages on. Now, do you think he's oblivious to this because, you know, he doesn't even remember that his favorite food is ice cream, his wife Jill has to tell him. You think he's just oblivious, and then on the spur of the moment, he's at a fundraiser, he's trying to raise shamolis, and he just says, hey, I'm going to forgive more student loans. Yeah, no, I, I think what he's doing is even though he's had an inability to make it effective, because he's such a cheerleader of it, the concern would be if he doesn't keep cheering it, someone else will say it, and then he'll lose his association with it. So he has to keep, you know, allying himself with this goal, even though he's not really in a position to do it. Well, up next, we're going to put your skills uh, as an e-attorney to use. Nancy did a deep dive on two areas of concern. In defense of Nicole Gelinas, the uh, columnist for the New York Post, who was battered by City Hall because she exposed uh, what they were doing with this SNAP card, debit card for the migrants. And Nancy has done the deep dive, and clearly we're on uh, the side of Nicole Gelina. She's right. 
But then the second part of it is that the mayor flew out of New York to Missouri. What the hell? He took a stealth flight to Missouri to a hush-hush, mush-mush company that, let's just say, the plot thickens, and this guy really does want to work his way up to the big house in chains and shackles and not to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue where he thought he was headed. You don't want to go anywhere. Nancy Sliwa has done the deep dive on the swagger man with no plan except to rip off the taxpayers, Eric Adams. Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Sliwa. Curtis doesn't know about you, but he rips and reads. This is the Rip and Read. We don't get fooled again. No, no. This is the battle cry of the who won't get fooled again. And we are not going to get fooled again. Thanks to the stalwart reporting of Nicole Jelinas of the New York Post. It was a front page headline and story with lots of data, lots of documentation. She's known for doing the deep dives about financial improprieties or when people in government use fiscal technology, whether it's the MTA, city, state, doesn't matter, federal. Uh, she's the go-to uh, person at the New York Post to uh, unearth these things. She did an outstanding article about this debit card that the Adams administration has been bragging about. And then they, they, hit, the, uh, they hit their bunkers. And they started to attack her by saying, we don't like the sound of the message, so we're going to attack the messenger. Oh, she's just a uh, part of the Manhattan Institute, which she is, gives her legitimacy. Uh, but she's not part of the New York Post. What are you talking about? She's written for years. <laughs> she's good. And then they start spinning, spinning. And I noticed that right away, Nancy, you lit up and you said, man... Where there's smoke, there is fire, and you have now joined Nicole Jelina separately and independently, but doing the deep dive on this. You know, her, first of all, her article was extremely thorough, uh, certainly very insulting to call it an opinion piece. It's not an opinion. Uh, she put forward a lot of pertinent facts. And what she was doing was looking specifically at the contract as it exists. I mean, you know, he, Eric Adams likes to say a lot of things that he's doing. And how things are. But if you just look at the words of the contract, I mean, she's on point. A lot of these things are fairly open-ended. There's um, uh, several you know, immediate payouts to this company for large amounts of money. And to the point of them having no experience really in this level, they don't. Now, remember, we had never heard of this company before. Uh, if you can, first, we got to start out with the Eric Adams battle cry. Whenever he deals with any issue. There's always an underlying reason. It's his reason that he became an elected official. Show me the money. Show me the money. That's what it's all about. It's all it's ever been about with him. And then, as Nicole Gelinas brought us to the attention of a new company that he's dealing with, no bid contract, no transparency, they had to explain it the other day at City Hall. Those are food contracts. That's what Mocha Fire was all about. A MWBE company that we met on the campaign trail and stated that we think we're going to need you. Little did we know that God is going to say there's going to be a crisis. You're going to have to meet them. And Deputy Mayor, first Deputy Mayor Wright reached out to them. And it's going to cost us money, put 
investment into local bodegas, coffee shops, stores, and supermarkets in our community. So God did the shidduch. God did the match between Eric Adams and Mocha Phi, which is not even a New York City-based financial services company. This this business is actually, it's based in uh, Jersey, and one of their first plans that they were involved in was in Newark with the um, Ross Baraka. Oh, you mean the man who wants to now destroy the state of New Jersey as its next governor, as he has destroyed the city of Newark? Yeah, I mean, and it was this small-scale pilot program uh, related to you know giving students in the area a little bit of a stipend. But again, very particular six-month pilot, four hundred recipients, seventy-five dollars a week. It had very it, almost similar to a SNAP card. You know, a specific person um, assigned to the card so that you, you know, lessen um, fraud. It had approved stores that you go to. It's not that this open-ended that Adams keeps trying to deny this card is that he's giving out to the migrants now. It is an open-ended card. Well, I believe uh, Raj Baraka, who wants to be governor of New Jersey over my dead body, deems himself to be a hip-hop mayor, is the very best friend of Eric Adams, who deems himself to be a hip-hop mayor. I think that's how the contact came. But let's put that aside. Let's go to now an interesting wrinkle where suddenly in the midst of all the craziness going on in New York City, Eric Adams gets onto another plane. Remember, he's got a phobia for flying now. The last time he got on a plane, when the wheels were up, the FBI was raiding his uh, treasurer of his campaign fund And snatching all the documents, which may lead to his own federal prosecution. So he didn't want anyone to know that wheels were up. He didn't have his police detail. He didn't have any rats know, of which he has many at City Hall. It was him and one guy. That's it. Normally he he rolls strong. A guy that I had never heard of named Matthew Fraser picked up and traveled to St. Louis, Missouri, to do what? Okay, so yeah, this guy is going to be one to watch, I think, Matthew Frazier. So he is the only person that accompanied him, and what they're doing is supposedly they're taking a tour of the office of what they're describing as a local tech company that uh, we have two contracts. The city of New York has two contracts with worth $400 million dollars. All right, so we remember them moaning about the IBM contract and, the, you know, the computers weren't working for the Department of Education, dumbest organization ever, when they called a, uh, a snow day and everyone would have to virtually learn and the system didn't work. IBM, we know. What's the name of this company? Okay, so it's Worldwide Technology. It's a billion, billion-dollar company. Uh, the owner of it, uh, David Stewart, his net worth is seven point six billion. So we're talking about like big dollar, big player, big player. Big player. So, but he, what he did was he flew in um, on Wednesday to do a tour of the headquarters, which I hope you to do a tour before you actually you know uh, penned a four hundred million dollar contract. And then he shows up at six thirty to a jazz gala where he's receiving an award so, in St. Louis. Yeah, so he wants to let everyone know who just who just uh, signed those nice uh, big fat contracts on his, on. So the company. So he goes. Out, I'm assuming this is a black-owned company. It's the number one. All right. Worth All black-owned right. So company. Huge company. Huge. Uh, massive amount of money. They do business with people other than New York City, or they wouldn't be worth seven billion dollars. But notice, he takes the time to go to a jazz festival. What did they do? Give him the Louis Armstrong Award. You know, because Louis Armstrong loved smoking uh, weed, you know, so maybe because of all the illegal weed shops that we have in the city, he got the Louis Armstrong Award? Well, I mean, he probably got an award for signing such such big contracts, but this is this is interesting because, again, this guy who we brought with him, um, Matthew Frazier, he's also the individual who, after Adams became mayor, actually reached out to the company that's now doing the migrant cards to say, I think we need to do business. So it seems like he's really the, I mean, I guess for lack of a better word, it's like the bag man for the technology companies. Again, whenever Eric Adams is undertaking the task of having a contract, you say contracts, I say kickback. Uh, with the contract that you mentioned, $400 million, have you had a chance to do a deep dive on this? Uh, to see if there was a bidding process or in typical Eric Adams fashion, no bid, they're my friends. 
and no transparency. You're not entitled to know what the hell is in the contract. Yeah, that one I have to look into. But like I said, what's interesting is this this individual who accompanied him on the trip, he's now in uh, the head of the Office of Technology, the chief technology officer, which is a conglomeration. They actually collapsed five separate technology offices. So he's the only person you go to if you want to do a tech con- contract with the city. So that makes him a very, very pivotal person for people to talk to if they want to get money and contracts from the city. I know most of the people in the Adams administration. Matthew Frazier. One to watch. African-American former cop. Yeah, he worked with him on the NYPD. Probably knows nothing about tech other than uh, how to get a good sweetheart deal for Eric Adams and Friends of Adams to be continued in defense of Nicole Jelinas, who was maligned. We're doing a deep dive because, wow, Eric Adams wheels up, doesn't let anyone know, and then afterwards goes to a jazz festival. Isn't that so typical of the party mayor, the nightlife mayor, Eric Adams? Talking about this is the Riffin' Reed featuring Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Sliwa. Wow. In defense of Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman, who once again has taken a stand. No to migrants in Nassau County. When I led the demonstrations against Creedmoor, he was direct. And now, when it comes to transgender sports, and remember, this is a guy whose reputation goes back, Nancy, to the time he was actually married to the woman who uh, has become uh, Paul McCartney's wife. Oh, Bruce has quite a history in Nassau County politics, but he is establishing himself as a statewide figure and a nationwide figure, really, doing a great job in Nassau County. i got to give him massive props. Initially, I have my doubts. A man is like he takes a stand. He does not equivocate. He does not surrender. He does not fold like a chief camera. What is his position on uh, transgender sports in Nassau County? Um, ordered that Nassau County Department of Parks, Recreation, and Museums shall not issue any permits for the use and occupancy of Nassau County Parks property for the purpose of organizing a sporting event that allows teams designated for females to include biological males. Now, let me ask you a question, Nancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you saw what happened up in Massachusetts. I looked at the video. I say, oh, my God. Look, I've been, I've been on the, the, the hardwood playing basketball, and, I mean, it's gotten rough. But it's guys with guys, and out you go. You get thrown out of the game. It's was like a game, right? And describe the game taking place because you played basketball against your brothers. You grew up in a family of all brothers. And baseball, wiffle ball against your brothers. So it was rough and tumble. But what the hell was that? I'm watching women all over the floor getting knocked out. Well, I would say the distinction um, growing up even playing with my brothers is that there's still that element of, you know, you're going to be a little bit less extreme because it's a girl, it's your sister. Um, Clearly that doesn't happen in in these sports where you have like the transgender athletes. So uh, they have the video footage from the game. Now this... um, so, what was this sport? What okay, this so this sport? is um, this is basketball, and what you have is a biological male on one of the teams who identifies as a female. Uh, he's taller than six feet tall, and he is totally dominating this this girls' basketball game. He had a beard. Yeah, he, he has facial hair. He had a beard, and within the first sixteen minutes of play, he injured three of the female players on the other team, and then they decided to forfeit because the the other girls didn't want to get hurt and sadly later had to backtrack and say, oh, no, that wasn't the reason why we did it. We did it for other – like they couldn't even commit to the fact that this is why they did it when they first said it. So he's setting picks on these women and they're running into him. He's like a Mack truck. They're falling. They're getting injured. Three. How many minutes time? The three it's, went down? 16 minutes now. Actually, and when I used to play basketball – I was a little bit of a, a tough fowler, 
So what I would suggest is you you got to just go for the the three piece set early on and just take this person out the game. <laughs> That's how this works for sure. <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah, I don't know how how will she get around so, this. I don't understand why his own coach, realizing he's knocking female players down and getting injured, didn't just pull him. Well, you know, and again, so this the, the problem is so they have a Massachusetts Intergalactic Athletic Association. They say players can't be excluded from a team based on gender identity. Well, I don't know what gender identity. Why not just biological? Like, you know, gender. Like that is a problem. There's a reason why. You have different stats in guys and girls sports for the same sport. I mean, you're acknowledging there's a reason why you have a separation of the sports. There's differences in uh, physical abilities. And let's face it, in a lot of these things, if you have a taller, um, younger guy, he's going to be better than a girl his age at basketball, all things being considered equal. So why you would let him in when he clearly stands far distinct from everyone else makes no sense to me. You're, this is very unfair to women. Incredible. There was a guy who played for the Detroit Pistons. This is a Curtis Lee Super Sports Spectacular moment. Bill Lambier. Probably some of our listeners know him well, man. He was in the paint. He was a brick house. He would purposely foul the best players on the other team. Chicago Bulls hated playing him because they wanted to protect, obviously, Michael Jordan. This guy was like just in the paint. He also went on, though, to be an excellent coach with the WNBA, uh, Women's uh, National Basketball Association. Excellent coach. Bill Lambeer. This guy, I'm looking at the tape, he looks, he looks like Bill Lambeer with a beard. And they're going to allow him to continue to play and I mean, injure women? It, you know, it's, it's tough enough as a girl, I think, growing up and trying to take part in sports because, you know, it's, it's only come along recently that women's sports is really so elevated, and now you're taking away from that. I want you to do a deep dive because we know there are those who are born women who biologically, anatomically want to become men, and they do. How come I never hear of any stories of them competing against men? Maybe they do. But they never seem it's win, place, or show third, second, first. We never hear about them competing because clearly they can't. They just, it's not within them to be able to compete equally against the men, even though anatomically they've changed. They've gotten testosterone to replace estrogen. Why are they doing this just to women's sports? Next time you join us, Nancy, on Rip and Read, we got to act, we got to research that aspect. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.